so the big vision of inclusion stories is telling stories of families that are actively advocating for their son or daughter to be included in regular school in regular classes and they have some level of success podcast junkies episode 318 welcome back i'm your host harry duran if you're new to the show it's the one where we speak to interesting voices in podcasting get them to kick back their heels talk about their shows and whatever else is on their mind in case you missed last episode, we had a fantastic conversation with longtime friend, my personal friend, per, my personal friend, that sounds strange, right? <laughs> my longtime friend, Shelby Stanger. She's the host of Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show that I helped her launch. And so it's amazing to see her journey to accomplished author. She's on a book tour now. Her show was picked up by REI, which is an amazing story as well. So many inspiring things have happened to her and she's been a an incredible journalist and she's an established writer and everything you hear about her really gets you inspired to want to go out and do wild things so please make sure you check that out if you haven't already it's the previous episode this week i speak to tim viegas he takes us on an enlightening and empowering journey with his think inclusive podcast where he explores a world of inclusive education through captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations his show is a platform that amplifies the voices of people with disabilities, their families, and dedicated educators committed to creating truly inclusive environments where everyone can thrive. Tim's engaging interviews and compelling narratives bring to light the transformative impact of inclusion, inspiring parents, teachers, and anyone interested in disability advocacy. You can hear about inspiring stories that engage in challenging discussions, and you'll have a deeper understanding of what it means to build a more inclusive society that celebrates diversity and empowers everyone to reach their full potential. You're gonna love this one, you're gonna be inspired, you're gonna be informed, and you're gonna be awakened to his amazing energy. Tim is uh, very smart and resourceful and excited to share this episode with you. If you're enjoying this episode, after, of course, you listen to it, if you haven't listened to it already, or a past episode, please leave a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcast junkies. Nothing makes me happier than to read this out on future episodes. Quick plug for podcasting 2.0 apps. I'm really following the progress that they're making and excited about this ability to contribute to your favorite podcast hosts. So check out newpodcastapps.com if you're in the mood to try out some bleeding edge podcast apps like Fountain, which allows you to get direct support from your own podcast listeners. Stay tuned to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. Okay, before I jump into this conversation with Tim, here's a few words from the folks that support this show. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite and the link will be in the show notes as well. So Tim Vegas, Director of Communications at the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education and the host of Think Inclusive, and the co-host of the Trailer Park Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me on Podcast Junkies. It is my pleasure, Harry. Thanks for having me. I wasn't sure if I'd get those all out. <laughs> you did. You did great. <laughs> Rehearsing a couple, of, a couple of minutes before we went live. So, so much to cover there, and uh, thanks for reaching out via email. Looks like you got uh, connected with Ariel, so maybe let's start there. Ariel is obviously a friend of the show, 
And for those that are just listening at home or using Squadcast, use the community manager at Squadcast. I'm the founding advisor for Squadcast, so we're big fans. And I'm just wondering how you two got connected. So we connected like most people connect with Ariel over Twitter. Okay. <laughs> and I probably was just kind of stalking her Twitter account, like many of us do. And she has great ideas and is always prompting the community to think and to expand their podcasting knowledge. And so I'll have to try to find the original tweet, but basically she was like, what if there was a podcast that just featured trailers? And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. We could call it the trailer park. And she's like, I love that name. And so a few people responded in the thread and I think I DM'd her and I was like, hey, listen, you know, I'm down for trying something new. What do you like? What do you think? What do you need? And I could put together like a submission form that could be like a first step. And so I just basically copied the submission form that I used for Think Inclusive over it and made it appropriate for what we were doing. And then it just kind of took off from there. It was more, it was a slow burn. So I think this idea came together probably in the fall of last year sometime, maybe even the summer. And then it wasn't until I think January or February when we really started rolling with it. And it came together pretty fast after that. I think anyone who's been podcasting for any period of time realizes there's no shortage of ideas that would make for good shows. <laughs> there's probably another show that will be the graveyard of uncreated podcast ideas or something to that effect. <laughs> because I know that even since I started my this show in 2014, I've, you just always randomly pop up with an idea. And obviously, I know that uh, Ariel's good about soliciting ideas or talking about ideas because it seems like she, there's no shortage of creativity in podcasting when it comes to Ariel. So I, know that we, <laughs> I think we even talked about a couple of ideas at some point. So it's great to see that some of them actually have legs and that you've been able to get that up and running. But Let's go back to your original podcast journey, because this is obviously not your show. So talk about the origins of Think Inclusive. Sure. So I started Think Inclusive in 2012. I started, you know, on my dining room with my MacBook Pro and a Logitech headset and a Skype account. And I had always wanted to podcast. In fact, I studied I took classes in college. I'm not going to overstate myself uh, on audio production because I was like an, a radio wannabe. <laughs> I started um, really learning about sound and audio production because I was uh, like a musician in bands. And so, you know, late high school, early college, I learned how to work DAWs and, you know, Pro Tools was the main thing that I learned. And I just loved it. And when I, heard that there was a thing called podcasting i had always like i need to do this this is i need to figure out a way that i can do something like this and i'm sure you know any podcaster you know who ever listened to this american life right yeah. <laughs> it's just like it was so influential in what i thought podcasting should sound like and what it could do as far as like changing your mind and and moving you emotionally and so I started to uh, write and blog around that time uh, in 2012. And I'll back up just a little bit. My professional experience really is as a teacher. So I started teaching in 2003. 
and I taught mainly students with disabilities. And so I taught in special education classrooms and in different schools. I'm from originally from California, from Pasadena, and that's where I started at Pasadena Unified School District. And so when I moved to Georgia in 2008, I needed an outlet for learning about how to support people with disabilities. And I was learning a lot about inclusion and inclusive education. And for those of you who don't know or don't realize there's kind of these two separate systems of education in public schools in America, well, and in the world, but especially here, if you have a child with a disability, especially like a significant, you know, one that's like significantly impacting them like autism or Down syndrome or any other intellectual disability, their educational experience is vastly different from a typically developing person. So if you have a learner that has that kind of profile, they're typically segregated in a, in a special education class, usually not given the same kinds of curriculum or materials. And the quality of teacher, you know, can be sometimes suspect. And so I was definitely one of those teachers, <laughs> you know, like I went to school to become a teacher, but I actually got a job before I finished my credential because in California, there's a shortage of teachers. And so they're like, okay, well, you meet the minimum requirements. All right, here you go. And so I learned a lot on the fly on my job. And so I, you know, I felt like I was doing my best and stuff. But when I moved to Georgia, I was able to connect with some people like outside consultants who really mentored me in inclusion. And so they basically, helped me along my mindset and my practices on how to include my students with disabilities in regular classes and help them learn and have it be meaningful. And so once that happened, that changed my whole world. And I just needed to know more about what this inclusion thing was. So here we are coming up on, you know, 2011 presenting at a conference and I realized there's this whole world of educators who want to do the same thing as me. And I start tweeting. I start, I, I had a Tumblr account. I started blogging. I started guest blogging. I started podcasting. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is life giving. Like, this is what I want to do. You know, when I'm not teaching, this is what I want to do. And so it was really just having all that background knowledge with audio production and then this passion for learning a new thing, this inclusion thing and figuring out what it was. I just went and I started emailing and tweeting everyone like, okay, will you be on my podcast? Will you be on my podcast? And so it started off pretty slow. I don't know what your experience was, Harry, but you know, <laughs> when I first started, I produced maybe one or two episodes and then I was like, oh my gosh, like that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> so it took long breaks. And uh, it wasn't until about 2018 that I really was doing anything um, consistent. And then by 2020, I had been teaching for 16 years in public schools and I decided I needed to look outside because philosophically, we weren't lining up okay. with where I was at, you know, with me advocating for inclusion for learners with disabilities and, and my, in my, in my job, it just wasn't we weren't seeing eye to eye and I felt like I needed to look elsewhere. And so I'm very fortunate to be able to join the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education as their communications director and bring all of that with me. So I brought 
the blog and the podcast. And so now that is part of my job and I'm living the dream really is what, what I'm doing. <laughs> so much to unpack there. So let's go back to your decision to become a teacher. Like what inspired that or, or what drove that? I did not want to be a teacher, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be a counselor. I wanted to like be some sort of marriage family therapist or okay. like a counselor. I went to. Why is that? Well, we could have therapy right now. And so <laughs> that's okay. It. Let's do it. <laughs> it's funny because so I have a 17 year old, almost a senior. She's a junior. And, you know, we're actually looking at colleges and she is interested in psychology. And so it's funny because both my wife and I have a background in psychology. And the joke is it's like you really only become like a you only go into psychology because you're trying to like right the wrongs of your of your upbringing <laughs> and so like my wife and i are like what did we do <laughs> what did we do so that's actually a complicated question i think for me and why i wanted to be a teacher because my parents were not educators you know my dad is in cybersecurity, information security my mom actually eventually became a social worker but at the beginning when i grew up i you know uh, she, you know, worked for, you know, department stores and, and retail and human resources and stuff like that. So I did not have any sort of model at home that was wanting to be an educator. Uh, what really piqued my interest in the first place was the my, one of my last classes in my psychology degree. It was called the Psychology of the Exceptional Child. And I went in thinking like, oh, I'm going to learn about gifted kids. You know, this is great. This will be super easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned that there was this whole world called special education and assessment and diagnoses. And I went to private school. So in private school, there was no such thing as like special education. It, you know, looking back there were certainly students who probably would qualify for services if they went to a public school, but, and I'm sure that they received something extra, but I had no idea what that was. It was not in my vocabulary. I had no sort of idea of what that looked like. And so when I went to this class and one of my assignments was to visit a special education classroom, yeah, a local one, I went in and I visited. And it was a, what we would now call like a, a resource classroom, like a math resource. So this would be for a small group of students who maybe had some learning disabilities and one teacher who was working you know, on specific math strategies to help them, you know, help them learn about it. And at the time I thought, oh, this is strange. Like what is so different about what they're doing here that is that they have to do it in this separate space, you know, but I didn't really think about it until, you know, way later, like it was just like an assignment that I had to do. And so then after I graduated with my psych degree, there's not a whole lot of things you can do with the psych degree. <laughs> so I found a job as a behavior therapist for children, young children with autism. Okay. Again, had no experience working, you know, with kids on the spectrum. And I just, I found that I went to like the weekend training that they give you. And I was like, oh, 
this is kind of cool, you know? And then when I started working with families in their homes, because I mostly worked with like three and four and five year olds. So they were like pre going into school. And then I also did some in school uh, therapy. I was like, this is really cool. And I really like it. And I think this is what I want to do. And so, and then at the time too, I was playing music. So at the time I wanted to be, you know, like a rock and roller. <laughs> what instrument do you play? I play, my main instrument is the bass guitar, but I know how to play piano and guitar. So okay. I used to, I pretended to sing. So. <laughs> <laughs> did you actually start up any bands? I did. I was in a number of bands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In high school, college and post college. And what were some of the names of those? Because I always think they're super creative at the time when you're, <laughs> when you're starting them oh, up. Oh <laughs> gosh. So in high school, we were called the Daily Special. Okay. And we were like a punk ska band. Okay. You know, because everyone was in a ska band back in the late 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and then in college, I was in a band called Frank Scares Me. Okay. We were like emo. <laughs> and then post-college, I was in a band called Paloma. And we actually changed our name to Roger Moon. But we were, you know, kind of like Radiohead wannabes. <laughs> so, yeah. So I played a little bit of keys, bass guitar in, in most of those bands. Yeah, so that's, I was like, we were gigging and practicing and I, that's what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to, I wanted to play music, you know, I lived in LA and, and I gave it a real good go. And then I met my wife in Silver Lake, which I found out that Harry used to live in Silver Lake. Yep. And also used to live in Atlanta. Oh, you lived in Atlanta too? <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. The connections. In uh, Candler Park. Candler Park. Oh, yeah. That's like right in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah right in Atlanta. It was, not, it was uh, at the time I was working for E-Trade and I had a job in New York and then they had a position open up, a director position. But the only way to, to get that promotion was to actually go down and, and run that. Uh, it was the customer service reporting division. So I managed a team of like eight folks and I would travel to Alpharetta. So I was going against the reverse commute, but it was fun. Had a group of friends down there as well. So yeah, fond memories of Atlanta and the Flying Biscuit as well. <laughs> oh, the Flying Biscuit is is amazing. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I live in a, a suburb of Atlanta, Marietta, so I'm, I'm sure you've passed it. I do. I do know Marietta <laughs> very well. At least you get a little bit warmer weather there than... Uh, I'm currently in Minneapolis, so it's it's definitely a shift, but it's... What do you like most about living there? Well, the cost of living is probably my favorite, and... It is so lush and green and beautiful. And like, despite it raining all the time, the air is really clean. So like in LA, you know, you would roll out of bed and not be able to see the mountains. <laughs> but here, I mean, there are no mountains, but at least you could, it's just, you know, blue sky. And, and also I happen to like the, the thunderstorms. It, it's just such a difference growing up in Los Angeles. You know, if it rained, it was just like this yucky, socked in, you know, gray rain. And there, when it did, yeah. And then, but in the South, it's the humidity and the thunderstorms and the lightning. And it's just, it's, it can be pretty beautiful sometimes. It's an experience. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very nice. And I think it's uh, a nice place to definitely visit. And uh, just a reminder of how much to appreciate the, 
the climates you're in. And there is no perfect one either, because I know in, when I lived in L.A., there'd be days, forget days, months with no rain. It was just, and coming from New York, it was so bizarre <laughs> to just have that stretch of time with a little, it would rain for like, I think like 15 minutes. And they'd be like, is that it? <laughs> like, yeah. that, and then you have these reservoirs and like, quote unquote, rivers that are completely bone dry. And you're, you're like trying to imagine like water ever running through them. So it's, you know, the, I think every place has its pros and cons um so you, you kind of learn to make the best of where you're at yeah for sure yeah if anyone un- knows the joke of the la river <laughs> just just google that <laughs> yeah and it's so funny when you see it on a google map and you see the blue and you're like oh and you look and it's just a con- <laughs> concrete but i think recently with some of the crazy weather stuff that's been happening a couple of those actually filled up with water <laughs> recently yeah it happens yeah well it's like it i mean they built it for some reason you know so it must have like at one point you know they needed it so yeah not just for a scene in terminator so oh yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about uh how you were learning all about inclusivity learning about special needs i mean growing up as a child in the 80s if you think about the special needs program it was just like you know, there was a certain stigma, I guess, if you think about it, attached to those those kids. And, you know, it was almost like it was them and, and they were seen as like someone that had a challenging time and just needed super extra care. And I don't know that there was a lot of awareness in terms of like how to speak to their specific needs, which I think is something that you were alluding to. And so is that the idea when you started the show to start to tell some of these stories or, or what were the what was the, the the thoughts when you first started incorporating everything you were learning as a teacher, everything you were learning with all this with training into the show? Well, I was really looking for like a show that would meet me and my like what I wanted to know about people with disabilities. And so And where's that curiosity come from? Like why was it something that was like really something that was driving you. So I'm not sure how unique this is, but you know, I don't I don't have any immediate family members with disabilities. You know, I my my brother-in-law is autistic and I have a cousin who has an intellectual disability, but you know, nobody that I, you know, I didn't don't have any brothers or sisters or, you know, parents or and and also my experience in school, you know, I just didn't I didn't have that experience as well. And I always have a hard time answering this question, but I think the best answer is that when I got into schools and realized the vast difference, like the vastly different educational experience of someone with a disability, especially a significant disability has, it just felt wrong. Like, wait a minute, this is not right. Like there should not be two different educational systems in our schools. There shouldn't be. And the only difference is where you live. Because I can tell you, because um, in my job, I have, I'm very fortunate to be able to visit and speak with school districts that are inclusive, that include all learners that don't have disability specific programs that value and create a sense of belonging in their schools. And so the only difference between some districts in Maryland or in the state of Washington or in Oregon or you know wherever these districts are is zip code. That's it. So 
if the family here in Georgia wants their son or daughter to be included, there's a good chance that that district won't do it because historically they just haven't done it. It's not because they can't. It's because they have chosen not to, and also not to progress because there's a whole host of research and educational practices that say this is the best thing for students, not just for students with disabilities, but for everyone. But if they lived in Cecil County, Maryland, or if they lived in Westland, Wilsonville, Oregon, they would be included. So it's like that whole idea injustice, I think is really what drives me. And it, it's driven me since the very beginning. It's only gotten stronger as I've learned more and more about how our educational system works. So that's really what gets me up in the morning, what I think about, you know, when I go to bed. That's incredibly inspiring. Thank you for sharing that. How did you think about organizing the show? Did you have a format in mind? Did you know it was going to be interview based? Did you have a, a list of folks that you wanted to speak to? Talk about those first early years. Yeah. So I think that I did have a list of dream guests that I wanted and I wrote it all down and I, you know, emailed them or I tweeted at them. And, and what was actually surprising to me, Harry, was how many people got back to me because <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it to be as easy as it was. It was actually pretty easy to get people on the podcast and I'm not exactly sure why maybe because even in 2012 podcasting was still kind of like not something everyone did, even though it felt like it. But so I think it was still novel. So I was very fortunate to be able to, to speak with people about that. And as far as formatting, I've listened to some early episodes and, you know, it's just kind of a standard interview format where like I do an intro and there's some music and we do the interview and there's, you know, I do an outro and, and there you have it. <laughs> the only really difference is, is I edit my interviews now. Okay. I used to just kind of hit record and whatever happened, happened. And now I'm much more, you know, nitpicky about trying to make things flow and hopefully try to tell a story within, you know, and also I've been, I'm obsessed with narrative podcasts. So, and it, that is another thing that I'm working on right now too, is uh, I have, I'm in the middle of production of a, a narrative podcast called inclusion stories. It's a, a five part series where, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but so throughout the episodes of Think Inclusive, I will produce every now and again, kind of a more of a narrative based episode. In fact, the one that's going to be dropping on Thursday is one of those. So I, I'm spending a little bit more time scripting it out and editing and stuff like that. So how many episodes are we at now? Well, it's interesting. Somewhere between like 90 and 100 something. I think we're you know, getting close to 100. I had a few episodes that I took out because they were no longer, they weren't really think inclusive episodes. They were like other things that I made. So I don't really count those. So I don't think we've hit a hundred yet, but pretty close. I, I told you before, like it was like just like two or three a year. And then it was like six and then it was 10 and then it was 18. And so in 2020, I was doing biweekly and then right as it stands now or three or four times a month. And that first week 
of the month I'm reserving for like feed drops and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. So we're much more prolific now. <laughs> Have you kept the same trailer that you recorded and you started the show? <laughs> no, no. Well, I actually took down my trailer because I need to to redo it actually. <laughs> Was that because of the new show? <laughs> Partially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did do a trailer for like season seven, I think. Okay. And uh, that trailer was up for a long time, but I decided I was like, I'm just going to pull that down. The other thing that I want to do that I haven't yet done is do an episode zero because what I find is people are listening to like my, you know, like first few episodes still. Like I look at my downloads, I'm like, man, like I need to like have something at the very beginning to be like, hey, this is what you're going to. This is what you're going to experience. These are the kinds of people, you know, that you're talking. And you asked, actually asked me this question is, uh, you know, what kinds of, of people and how I wanted to construct the the episodes. But um, I really wanted a cross-section of educators who, you know, were doing the work of inclusion, people with disabilities so that they can share their experience, whether they were included or not. Because in my thinking, the, the experts on disability are actually people with disabilities. And that's something that I learned uh, right away because all I had ever learned about disability were in, in books, you know? Okay. So really centering the voices and the stories of people with disabilities and then a lot of families. So families who were struggling or advocating for their children to be included. And so I wanted those stories as well. So those are kinds of the, the main kind of the main people I look for, for guests. And it's, it's still, that's basically still what I do, but I, I'm much more, my, the, the tent is a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Did you make a distinction between a trailer and episode zero? I did. Ah, that's interesting. I've always considered them one and the same. So what, how do you distinguish them? Well, I would say a trailer or a teaser, as Ariel likes to say sometimes, is, is kind of a, like a promotional two to three minute, like produced audio like segment where you know maybe you're pulling in some audio clips of guests maybe it's just you talking about what to expect but an episode zero in what i'm imagining it for think inclusive is almost like a solo episode where i just go like hey this is my story this is who i am this is why this is important to me and if you stick with me and you listen to these episodes and you you figure out, you know, what's important to you and what you want to learn about, this is what hopefully you'll get. So that's my idea of an episode zero. So you think of episode zero almost like as your inaugural episode, but you wouldn't designate that in your podcast host as your trailer episode. I would not, no. Okay. No. And the reason why is because when I look at my analytics, I see that people are listening to that first episode. So rather than listening to that first episode I have with the, my very first guest, they're listening to me. Yeah. And then I've also heard best practices is if you do new seasons, if you just want to refresh, it, it is helpful to re-record the trailer because depending on the podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, they prominently show or display the trailer if it's designated a trailer as your as your and your podcast host. So I think it is even as I'm thinking about it, you know, as I was leading up to this conversation and seeing what you guys were doing with uh, TPP, I was like, 
I don't think I've touched my <laughs> trailer for this show since recording, which is, you know, what a lot of podcasters say as well. So it is inspiring because I do have a second show called the Vertical Farming Podcast, and I have to listen to that one as well, because I do want to submit both of them to Trailer Park Podcast as well for, for you guys to have a listen to and give feedback on. And I'd love that. Uh, so, so Vertical Farming. So are you familiar with Vertical Harvest in Wyoming? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So... Here's a connection, Harry. Jen Tenekin is a filmmaker okay. that made a film called Hearts of Glass. And Jen was on my podcast years ago as a leading up to the film premiere. And Hearts of Glass features Vertical Harvest in, wait, is that what it's called? Jackson, yeah. It's, I Jackson, think it's, yeah. Jackson, yeah. yeah. And they employ people with intellectual disabilities. I know. Yeah. Nona Yehia is the CEO. Yeah. She's been on my show already and she's coming on in a couple of weeks for round two. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> We're friends. We've I've gotten to meet her in person at some of these indoor farming conferences. She's an amazing human being. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So I still am in touch with Jen, but you know, uh, I've never made it out there. So maybe one day. Well, it's so funny to talk about all these different things. That's why I've been open about all the things that I'm working on, like this other show, because you, you never know like the way these paths connect and what people are working on nowadays. And so the fact that you, there is a connection between you and, and Nona and my show and someone that you've spoken to on your show, which is really fascinating. It's, fun, it's always <laughs> fun to kind of see all the ways that the, the world of podcasting connects us all together, which I think is amazing. I know, right? <laughs> How have you grown as a host over what it's been now since 2012 with your show like all these episodes the ups and downs of learning what works what doesn't do you find you're more comfortable in your in your role as podcast host now much more comfortable i think that i like to script i script almost everything okay so not during my interviews usually i have a list of questions and i've always done that but i think that it's always been helpful for me to have a list of questions. And then if we throw it out, that's fine. But I, I just, and most of the people that I talk to, you know, they're not podcasters. They're, you know, professors or parents or people with disabilities. And so they really want to be like guided on what to do. And a lot of them are nervous. So I typically am more structured in my interviews. And at the beginning, I think I was more loose, but now, especially on the front end, I try to make the guest feel as comfortable as possible. So then, because I know that that will yield a really good interview for me, I tried to be when I would do like my production and do my intros and outros, I tried to be more like unscripted and I just, I hated it. You know, <laughs> I think some people are really good at that and I'm just not. So I think towards the middle of the production process. So after a few years, I just started scripting out all my, my intros and outros. And now that's what I do. It's just my standard practice, but I am surprised at how many people don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think for me, what happened is the opposite. Cause I did like many podcasters, when you get started, you're, there's so many moving parts. You're so nervous about everything, especially a bit intimidated with some of these guests who, when you're getting started, they're big names in the space. And so I did have my list of questions and I've talked about this a couple of times on the show, but just, you know, there comes a point when you have to ditch the list because you have a short time. I remember talking to John Lee Dumas of Entrepreneur on Fire. I had like 30 minutes. 
he's well known for having really short windows for interviews. And I was like, this is not going to work. I just got to like, you know, free flow it. Cause I think it was even during the afternoon, it was like a noon or something interview. And so I just realized that for me personally, I think it keeps me more engaged and, and it's almost more of an interaction back and forth and me reading off the vibes of the guest and just, you know, forcing myself to be, be more curious, be more attentive, pay more attention. And so it's not always the easiest thing because it requires a higher energy level. And I've noticed on times when I've decided to do two interviews or sometimes because of the two shows, like three interviews in a day, like energy is depleted as the day goes on. And as you have this interaction, cause you're exchanging energy with someone, right? So yeah. I had something, a, a interview today and I was like, I'm just gonna reschedule it. Cause I just, I already know. And then, then I went back into Savvy Cal and I was like, I gotta adjust my settings. I only want one of these a day because I, I know, I think I'm just, you know, learning over the, the years that I wanna be my most available for these conversations. And I think it's a sweet spot around time of the day as well, like where your energy level is at. So it's a lot of, and it's not the same for everyone. That's the thing, you have to find the rhythm that makes sense for you. And, and I think that's a bit of what you're alluding to. What makes you feel the most comfortable as a host when you're having these conversations? Yeah, and, and you just reminded me, I am trying to figure out ways to streamline my process. And so for this next season, I've actually scheduled back-to-back -back interviews because I have not done that before. So this is something new for me. And, I, and I'm going into it knowing that it's going to be a day. Like it's going to be a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, we all have to figure out what's going to work for our schedule and our creative process and, and you know, switch things up a bit. You know, I've been doing the same kind of thing for a long time. So I'm like, I've never done this before. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> and the beauty of it is that is we're the producers of the show, you know, we're the showrunners, whatever term you want to use, we're the editors, we're the marketers, <laughs> we're wearing all the hats. And I know with this show, I did everything for this show for that first year, but it was helpful because it's helped me to launch my agency full cast and where we produce shows for clients. Now we are full service agency, but I wouldn't have realized all the moving parts and that the things that people needed help with if I hadn't done it in the beginning. <laughs> and so it's, it's been really helpful. But talking a, a bit about format and how to change up things, we talked a little bit and you touched on narrative podcasts, which I've been a fan of myself, but I've always thought about how much work goes into making them sound the, the way they do. And I'm curious, you know, what this new project is about and how you think about how much more work it's going to involve to get the sound that you're going to want from these, from these shows. Well, it is a lot of work. And I haven't done even most of the work. It's really just collected tape. So, so the big vision of inclusion stories is telling stories of families that are actively advocating for their son or daughter to be included in regular school, in regular classes. Okay. And they have some level of success. So, you know, there's a family here in Athens, Georgia that I interviewed. There's a, a family closer to home, you know, where I live. And I did some recording of families in California and a few other people that I've done remote interviews with. And so the format is going to be telling their story and then contrasting it with some field recording and interviews with school districts that are already inclusive. So I created a pilot episode, which I guess not, you certainly don't have to do it, but for me, and I I'm looking for funding 
it made sense for me to make a pilot to show like what it, it would kind of sound like to show potential sponsors. And so, and I, I also presented the, the, uh, the pilot at a few conferences. So the pilot features the family story. And then I cut to this school district in Maryland, uh, Cecil County Public Schools, where I am interviewing some school leaders and they're explaining their process of how they include everyone. You know, and so we have, you know, tape of me in classrooms and talking about how preschool works. And then we go back to talking about the family and, and their worries about, is this inclusion thing going to last? Because, you know, every year there's something called an individualized education program meeting. And every year that the school team has to review it. And so is this going to be the year that the district is like, no, this is not going to work. Like, no, you can't do this anymore. You know, and that's a constant fear of families. So, so yeah, what I do is I intermix, you know, my narrative with clips and then some music and music beds and, and stuff like that. And then, you know, I go back and forth and, um, it's a, a, just a lot of trial and error. You know, no one, like I didn't go to, I didn't go to school for this. I <laughs> I've take, haven't taken any classes. I've talked to a lot of people and listened to a lot of narrative podcasts. And I tried to make it sound the way that I would want to make it sound, but it's a huge learning curve. And I'm grateful for my employers that they took a chance on me and was like, yes, if you want to do it, do it. You know? So I'm like, okay, we're doing this, you know? And <laughs> so I have hours of tape. <laughs> hours hours of tape harry and i'm like well i've already you know i'm already x amount of dollars into this thing so it's gonna happen <laughs> <laughs> what's interesting about folks that are in that space you could you almost know right away when they refer to their audio as tape that they're coming at it from the other angle because that's the npr world and where it used to actually be recorded on tape and they refer to the hours and hours of tape that they have but there is something it's really interesting. It's a specific skill set because I, I love those shows too, but I, I'm also a bit of a perfectionist and I, and I feel like it would be just a huge rabbit hole because even just if you think about the music and then the Nat sound of like, I, you think about, you talk about the classroom. I already think I imagine like the school bell ringing and like you hear the bustle of the kids in the hallway, <laughs> you know, and then I remember I got to interview Leah Tao of Strangers. And which was one of my favorite shows at the time. And I met her at Podcast Movement. And I was like, oh my God, her shows are like so immersive. And it's so, you feel like you're in the room with these people. And so I think I remember, this is a funny story because I spoke to her in Podcast Movement. I was like, oh, I live in, L in California. She's like, oh, me too. She's like, oh, I live in LA. She's like, oh yeah, me too. She's like, oh, I live in Silver Lake. She's like, I live in Silver Lake as well too. So she's like, why don't you just come over to my house and record the episode? And I was like, that is fantastic. Leah wants me to come over to her house. And I was like, this is way too much pressure. <laughs> I was like a super fan of hers, I mean, her, her style. And so I remember recording, I think I had this, the portable Zoom recorder and I, I put it towards the floor as I was walking on the gravel towards her door and knocking on the door and just getting that whole feel. Obviously, it's something that I didn't repeat <laughs> for for a lot of other episodes, especially now that I'm doing them remotely. But it was it's interesting because I always think about this idea of theater of the mind. And when it's done really well, you close your eyes and you just like feel like, oh, my God, like I'm in, the, in there and and you get the ambient sound. And if you can, if you can, you can tell if you're outside or you're inside and and even like a room echo is helpful and needed sometimes if you're trying to set context. So 
I applaud you for, t for tackling that challenge because I know it's a lot of moving parts and it's, it's nothing like recording one of these episodes and then just like <laughs> removing a couple of ums and ahs. It's, it's just next level stuff. Yeah. So I've always wanted to produce that kind of audio. And, and so just, I just haven't had the time or the focus to be able to do it. And so now it's just, it's a real pleasure and hopefully it'll turn out as good as I, I want it to. One thing that I am looking for though, because I know people, you know, listen to this podcast and they're podcasters or the, you know, they're interested in the podcasting spaces. You know, I, I need help. <laughs> I need help. You know, whether it's just someone to be like, Hey Tim, you're doing a great job. Like keep it up or to listen to episodes, to, to read scripts, to help me with music. I, I just need, I just need help. So if anyone's interested, let me know. Yes. And also it's a reminder to leverage all the platforms that you have at your disposal. Like on my second show, we just lost our editor for the newsletter. So I had to jump in there and just kind of put stuff together and just say, hey, the first thing I did at the top of the newsletter is like, hey, we're looking for someone. And someone actually just emailed me back this morning and said, I've been loving, I love your show. I've listened to every single episode of the podcast and I do some copywriting. I'd be honored to like work on it. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just have to make the ask, do it on your Twitter, do it on your LinkedIn, do it every platform that you have at your disposal, you know, take advantage of that. So, you know, obviously here, if people are listening to reach out, definitely we'll make sure all your contact info is available. Absolutely. How are things going with the new show? Um, you know, as with all things Ariel related, <laughs> there's always like, she does a great job of getting the word out. I've heard James Cridlin mention it on pod news as well, which is fun. So yeah, that was a little surreal. <laughs> <laughs> The, the new show is great. We just wrapped our first season with the last episode. I think it was uh, in the middle of May. It, I'm sorry, middle of April. And so we had eight episodes. We have three bonus episodes coming up. And speaking of narrative podcasts, so one of the trailers that we featured was for Serum, which is a podcast with Grant Hill from WHYY The Pulse and local transmedia. And it's funny, you know, we did, we're doing the show and, you know, we're listening to trailers and I was so enamored with the trailer of Serum that I'm like, I have to listen to this show. Like <laughs> mission accomplished. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's an unintended consequence, uh, but a very positive one for me because I listened to Serum and I was like, this was fantastic. I want to interview Grant. So for one of our bonus episodes, I interviewed Grant and we get into the idea of, you know, just how hard it is to produce a narrative podcast and and just the uh, the emotions and the intricacies of trying to figure out how to tell a story when you're not exactly sure where it's going to go. So that's going to come out. We have an interview Daniel from Focusrite. It's going to be a fantastic episode. And we are also going to do a more intricate critique a trailer by a podcast i think it's called they're called digital folklore so those have yet to be written and produced but they will be coming in the next few weeks as someone who's anxiously awaiting my opportunity to submit a couple of trailers for review what is best practice and music no music just talking duration what do you find works best well you know i think we both really enjoyed Ariel and I both really enjoyed the creative aspect of trailers. So ones that 
weren't just necessarily, hey, my name is Tim Vegas and I host Think Inclusive and you're going to hear. So I think there's an aspect of we do like for you to tell us what we're going to expect. But if there's a way that you can bring in your personality and kind of show us in the tone of the trailer what you're going to get when you listen, I think that is probably the biggest thing. Like we featured Where Did I Get Like This podcast. And uh, it was a somebody who had moved around a lot. And I believe he was, I think he was military. I'm sorry, Sean, if you're listening to this, but his personality really came out in the trailer and he used a lot of audio clips of his guests. And so it was like, oh, like I get the idea of what this is going to be about. And I think I might check it out, you know? And then of course, Serum was more immersive trailer. And so it really sets you up if you're a narrative podcast person, then you're like, oh, there's going to be an aspect of mystery to this. And we also featured fiction podcasts. So, you know, Newt Shadowcotty, Where the Stars Fell. So you had an idea of, oh, this is going to be fun. It's going to be funny. It's going to be quirky. It's it's going to take me to somewhere unexpected. So anytime a trailer can reveal, but not too much, what's going to happen, I think it's effective. And so we talk a lot about... Uh, is this trailer effective at setting someone up for knowing what the podcast is going to be about? And so those are the ones we picked typically. It sounds like I'll need to do a little bit of uh, research into my back catalog and <laughs> I'm at 310 already. So <laughs> I don't know if I'm looking forward to that, but <laughs> I know. Yeah. I've actually been thinking about that too. It's like, well, like who do I pick? Like, how am I supposed to pick audio clips from, you know, I mean, you have 300, but you know, even like, 80 or 90. Like, how am I supposed to do that? Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Probably start with the most popular downloads and then take a look at it. And I've, the challenge with me is that I've always trying out new tools. So I started with Libsyn, then I went to Transistor, and then I went to Simplecast, and then I went to, and now I'm on Captivate. I think I even did Megaphone for a little bit as well. But my stats are like obviously non existent when you start moving them. At this point, I don't even really look at them too much. I just look at the engagement. And the feedback from the guests and that and honestly it's a platform that i have it's i call it my virtual stage and i just love the fact that if i want to have a conversation with someone i have a vehicle for doing that and you know these conversations light me up so that's the focus for me and the reason why i continue to do it it's you know it's a little sporadic with episodes sometimes they go out every week sometimes they go out once a month <laughs> depending if i have guests but I, i'm always appreciative of the doors that have been opened because had it not been for this show, I wouldn't have my agency. I wouldn't have my second show. I wouldn't have met my current partners. So many amazing opportunities that have opened up in my world. Connections made, friends made for a lifetime, which I'm, I'm really appreciative of. So as we wrap up, I have a couple of questions for you. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Well, this comes to mind. So I took an, a lift from Atlanta back home. I had just come back from a, from a work trip and my Lyft driver is was like talking about Dungeons and Dragons and gaming and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah, I don't really consider myself a gamer. And then we started talking <laughs> and and uh, and so I started saying all the things that I did. So like my son plays Fortnite. And so I play Fortnite with him. We just downloaded this game called all I can think of is Jedi Survivor, but that's not the one. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Jedi something. I can't think of it right now. But 
And then, you know, we've played D&D. We have tons of board games. We go to this thing called Dragon Con, which I, I think you know what that, because you're from, you know, you've been in Atlanta. So Dragon Con's huge in September. And the guy looks at me and he's like, <laughs> you're totally a gamer. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you were so right. That's so funny. Because <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. I'm not a gamer. I am yeah. not. <laughs> so that is something I'm trying to embrace. I'm in trying to embrace my gamerness. Yeah, I think there's different levels of it because, I mean, I started in the Atari 2600 days, definitely dating myself. But even recently, you know, my partner and I have a, a, a Oculus VR, which has been an interesting experience. You, surprisingly enough, for the workout aspect, there's a boxing game in there called FitXR. And you put that on for 12 minutes, you are sweating and you're sore the next day. So it's, you know, for some people that just think you're just getting immersed and losing yourself and vegging out, <laughs> there are ways to use, you know, those games to benefit yourself and even some of the, the brain games as, as well. So I think kudos to you for accepting, embracing <laughs> your gamer. Absolutely. I'm embracing my gamerness. Yes. <laughs> What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Most people think I speak Spanish because my last name is Viegas, but folks, I do not speak <laughs> Spanish. In fact, if you try to speak Spanish to me, uh, I will say lo siento. You know, mi español, uh, muy malo. That's about all I can say. That's funny because I was thinking about opening with uh, a comment in Spanish. And I was like, oh, Viegas, perfect. I'm just going to be like, hey, como estas, amigo? And <laughs> I'm glad I did it. Well, I probably would be like, está bien, yeah. Harry. ¿Y tú? Yeah. <laughs> what is your heritage? A Mexican. Mexican, so, okay. Yeah, both my parents are Mexican. Okay. My dad was actually born in Juarez. And uh, yeah, so... That's a rough city. It's a rough city. Yeah. He immigrated in, you know, when he was 10 to El Paso and then they to California. Okay. Very cool. Well, Tim, I think we covered all the bases, really wide ranging discussions, which are some of my favorites. And so I'm super grateful. You never know like where the connections in podcasting are, are going to lead you. I mean, you started two years before I did and we had never been on each other's radar, but obviously the great connector, Ariel. <laughs> Obviously the connector things. of all people. <laughs> so I'm so happy because it was, you know, initially to talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, Trailer Park Podcast, but also just seeing like your experience and your passion for podcasting obviously made it uh, just common sense that I just want to have you and to talk about all things podcasting on the show. So you didn't disappoint. I'm super grateful we got connected and I'm, I'm really happy you got to share your story here. It was an honor, Harry. Thanks for having me. Where's the best place for folks to learn about all the things you're working on? I'm very easily accessible on the interwebs. So you can find me at Twitter at the real Tim Vegas on Instagram. And you can always look up my nonprofit, which is mcie.org. Okay. We'll be sure to have all those links in the show notes. If anyone has any questions about how to connect with you. Thanks again. I really appreciate this time together. Of course. Thanks again to Tim for coming on the show. Always appreciated when people spend, when people, not people, guests, my special guests, my wonderful guests, spend an hour of their time with me and share their story with you. They're truly inspiring stories. I'm truly appreciative of their time. Full show notes are always available at podcastjunkies.com. Intro and outro music composed by Cedar and Soil. Cedarsoil.com for its full list of music. Don't forget to check out our sponsor Focusrite and their awesome line of gear, specifically their new Vocaster line, which I love using. Check out the full lineup at podcastjunkies.com forward slash Vocaster. 
podcast production and marketing provided by Fullcast. Learn more at fullcast.co to see if the podcast is right for you and your business. Tune in next week for my conversation with Anne Klassen. And if you've made it this far, you're no doubt looking for this week's retention hashtag. Let's go with hashtag inclusive Tim. And be sure to tag us at podcast underscore junkies if you're listening all the way to the end. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next week.